We are here in the parables. We're in a sequence of parables. Sequence of stories. And these stories, I think, are designed in their homey, homespun innocence to tell us, to answer the question I began with, what does this kingdom look like? What does it look like? You know, I, I, it's funny. I, I, there, there are unconscious prejudices in our hearts about what religious stuff feels like. Or maybe religious tones. Um, uh, I, I, every once in a while, one of my sons will, uh, we were sitting in a hotel room one time, and so you heard the story, and, and uh, I, was, I was saying something to somebody in the family, kind of authoritatively, and Alex piped in. I couldn't even see him. He was around the corner, and I heard him say, Dad, you're using Bible voice, and I know you're not quoting the Bible. <laughs> Bible voice. I remember, um, uh, God bless us with some success, me, me and my ministry, the church I planted in Atlanta with some success, and, but I remember being very dissatisfied with it, even though we had grown and, and increased, and you, you worshiped there, didn't you, at, at St. Paul's before Brittany, and um, I remember being dissatisfied, and I, it, it took some excavating of my heart to discover, you know what I really intuitively thought the church looked like? White steeple. I'm not kidding. Pews. Where the heck did that come from? I wasn't even raised in the church. Maybe it was because I was raised by wolves. But, but I, there's a hunger in my heart for coming from that weird world that I was raised in. There's a hunger in my heart for normalcy. I'm hungry. I'm, I really am. I'm hungry for something a little more mainstream because... I want to be affirmed. I want to make... And isn't church supposed to be mainstream? These are weird... Uh, th these questions work, and they, they, they're frustrating. In a church planting situation like this, we're just beginning community. Do you know there are people that walk in there and here just going to go, you guys are weird. It's too small. I'm scared. Why is everybody talking to me? Uh, is this a cult? That's why we have Presbyterian in our name, because who, who ever heard of a Presbyterian cult? Let's, let's attack that right away. Let's get it right out there. And uh, let's deal with it. What does this kingdom look like? I think we're quite unprepared at times. And these, these parables have been intentionally kind of addressing and going back and forth. And the first parable is the kingdom as it goes out looks, looks and happens with different people in different ways. Some people receive it with joy and then walk away. Some people just brush it off like it's nothing. Some people are really transformed but then get carried away with the business of the world. And some people, some people, when it comes, they reproduce. Okay, that's one of the ways the these are These are anchor points. These stories, these parables become anchor points that describe the kingdom, the existence of God's church and his purposes and plans in the world with freshness and, and a way to helping us. Then we went a little further. It's, it's like a light. What's one of the ways the kingdom looks like? It's a light, or a purposefully shining. And then we looked again uh, 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 last week. What, what does the kingdom look like? And each one is elucidating in little ways, pictures, stories, so we can understand what we're looking at, so we can perceive it properly. This last one, though, is by far 
my favorite picture. This is my go-to picture. Mark 4, the last of this set of parables. Verse 30 and 32. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God to, to, to pray. Father, I pray for my speaking and our hearing, for the presence of the Holy Spirit to, oh, to warmly, sweetly lead us into truth. I pray it in Christ. Amen. Um, one of the things that I'm kind of interested in this text is the, the, the word, that, that the diminutive word that's used for the mustard seed is, we, you'll recognize it, micro. This is micro. It's actually micro tech word. Micro, where we, we use microscope today. Microscope. Micro, micrometer. Mic, micro, very, very small. Uh, and that is the picture of the mustard seed. Now, I'm intrigued by this because I think one of, the, remember one of the things we talked about was the riddles of the kingdom. There's a riddle. There's a, there's a sort of riddle going on here. And this is the greatest riddle of all. This is the greatest riddle of all, I think. He is the God who calls things that are not as though they were. That is from that quote I just said is Romans 4, verses 8, verse 18. He is the God who call things, calls things that are not as though they were. He calls into existence that which does not exist. And that this is the characteristic. It's one of the most, by the way, most of the New Testament, most of the way the Bible talks, doesn't talk about God that abstractly. It's an unusually abstract way of describing God. But, it, but, but I, that's part of its charm for me in, in Romans 4. Romans 4 is talking about Abraham's confidence. And then this is an Old Testament story we're not going to get into this time. But Abraham's confidence about his wife's 98-year-old body, you know, having a baby. Dead womb. Doesn't make any sense. But in that riddle of a dead of a dead womb, Abraham and Sarah, and these ancient Bible stories, which I don't take to be mere mythology, these ancient Bible stories, there's a little, there's a there's a riddle in there. You know what the riddle? There's a beautiful riddle in the midst of her dead womb giving life. Because she is the great, 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 I'll stop. Grandmother of this man who speaks here. And who himself rises from dead, from the dead. Make no mistake, Abraham's belief in his wife's dead womb anticipated the resurrection of the dead by Jesus Christ, her offspring. 
It has always been like this. And Christ is savvy. He starts, he's looking, he's angling for images that will finally be able to convince or portray or open up to you the riddle that God wants to take what is nothing and make it something. This is everything he does. This is the principle of all spiritual experience and all awakening in God and all new life. You cannot come to God with something. If you come to God with something, he rejects you. God only builds on zero. That's the only thing he ever does. Always. He only builds on zero. And I... um, In a a very savvy, beautiful way, these disciples are a great picture of that. They're they're just, they're they're not glamorous. Look around, it's not that glamorous in here, so there's some hope for us. They're not very glamorous. They're, they're fishermen. They're, they don't even smell that good. It's not, nothing about this is a... He's, and he's, he's picturing, he's looked at, you guys have no idea, and you can't see it yet, but in the tiniest of things, nothing, out of nothing comes everything for me and everything I do. And the point of defeat is the point of victory. And the point of failure is the point of success. And the point of zero is where you receive all things. I remember this, this is a mathematical principle. The difference, the gap between zero and one is greater than the gap between one and any other number. Why? Because that's the insuperable gap. That's the gap that can't be crossed. For zero has nothing to do with identity, with actual being something. God's always been like this. He was like, he's like this in the womb of creation. Uh, ex nihilo. You've heard that concept? We don't believe in ex nihilo merely out of a, a theistic perspective. But, but out, of a, out, of a, um, out of a necessity about who God is. Ex nihilo means out of nothing. So, and, and it's interesting now in the 20th century... Um, scientists and, and physicists discovered that that was the only way to make sense of the origin of the universe, the Big Bang. Some, there was nothing, and then what happened? There's something. <laughs> it was the only way to make sense of the background noise and the background radiation in the universe. He has always been this God. So he's this God in creation, but he's also this God now in this redeeming work. In this redemption. So if you can say this, so Christ a week after today, after we have Palm Sunday, he's hanging on a, he's hanging on a cross, he dies his brutal execution, and that moment of nothing, that's the moment of nothing, that picture right there, the moment when he is reduced to nothing. There's nothing, there is no nothing greater, there is no zero greater than what? Death. That is the ultimate zero. Gone. That's it. So Christ becomes zero. He does. He becomes zero. And at the moment where he becomes zero, this is the, the mystery. Remember that there's the, the micro mustard seed to the enormous tree. That's the way Luke actually puts it, a tree. Is that is the moment where victory is purchased. Where possibility is opened up. Where all the redeeming love of God for us is captured the point where Christ is zero is where he gets everything. 
He inherits all things as the Son. He is finally revealed as not merely the man, but the God-man. He's not merely, merely your friend, but your Redeemer. Not merely your Redeemer, but the Creator. It's the same God at work in space and time to do what He did in the Big Bang, to do it again today, to do what He does at the cross, and what He does in His resurrection. And the moment at which He appears to be nothing, He is something greater than we dreamed. He's why he's telling this story. He's cluing them. He's setting it up. He's setting up their hope and their dreams and their possibility to no longer fear zero. To no longer fear the zero point. Jesus plus nothing results in what? That's true for the church becoming a church, but it's true for you having spiritual life. We sang a song called Rock of Ages in the beginning. Did you notice that? Good song. An old song. Augustus Top Lady, a very famous hymn writer. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. What's, he ha- what's happening with Augustus Toplady right there? He realizes in the point of zero, he can meet Jesus and he gets everything. But if you won't go to zero, you can't know Jesus and you get nothing. We could balance the equation, right? <laughs> we could put nothing on the other side. It, 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 if, you don't, if you don't come to nothing, you have nothing. You don't have Jesus, and you don't have the promise of the story. You don't have the promise of the parable. You don't have the promise of creation itself and his redeeming love and its announcement as the son and the resurrection from the dead. So how does this begin? Faith plus nothing. Yeah. The riddle of nothing is the groundwork of every hope you have of being loved as a sinful man, Luke. <laughs> and every hope I have as a sinful, as, as a ruined man. And every hope you have, my dear sister, is built on what? That you have nothing, can add nothing, can do nothing, and shall ever do nothing. It shall never do anything. <laughs> shall do nothing. That will add to, your, to, to God's to, to, to your standing and your acceptance and your forgiveness and your triumph over n- this is the mystery at the heart of the heart of knowing God. And it's such a strange one, isn't it? Because what are we always doing? It's not just knowing God, but I think growing in God and growing as a church. What are we always doing? We're either hiding nothing, the nothing we experience, we're hiding the nothing we feel. Or we're running from it. Or we're, or we're, uh, or feel like we're, we're defined by it. How many of you have self-esteem problems? And they haunt us and they torment us. And I'm nothing. I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm a loser. And we, and we allow that identity. And, we, and, and, we, and sometimes we try to heal that identity by self-esteem. But what do we do when we're running and hiding and defi- and, or, tr- or even defining ourselves by our nothingness, by zero? 
What's the gospel trying to tell us again and again? What is the parable of the master seed? What is the victory in Jesus? What is the nature of his joy? You don't need a better self-esteem. If you feel like a zero, um, cheer up. You're probably really in the negative numbers. <laughs> and God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. So you say to me, Chris, I can't, I have not successfully escaped my addictions, my, my, my lusts, my anger, my bitterness, my, I've not, and I, I, Chris, I've been living the Christian life and it feels like I add up to zero. Oh yeah, I know, I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Cheer up, it's probably in the negative numbers, right? For our Father has replaced zero with forgiveness, new life, and resurrection. You know, um, it's a picture of a tree. Some of us are just hiding the zero that's in us, right? That's been, uh, this is one of the saddest things that happens in a lot of Christian communities. Um, makes me very, I get very frustrated by it. I remember this one couple, they were the best looking people in my church. They were the best looking people. And um, they had a unique way of always answering me at the door, how are you guys doing? And they always were like, we're doing great. We're doing great. You know? And uh, I remember very poignantly and, 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 and very clearly because they were such an archetypal Christian couple. You know. That was the week she discovered. I remember her, they told me how great they were. She discovered that he was having sex with a stripper in their marriage bed while she had the kids at morning school. You know, all right, I, human wreckage, guys, stories like that are dime a dozen. It's not the story that even bothers me. It's the relentless hiding. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's that passionate sculpting and creating the image. I've got something. We're together. We're great. <laughs> We're not zero. <laughs> and I'll tell you, if you're hiding the zero that's happening in your life, you're removing yourself from the power, right? You're removing yourself from its joy. You're removing yourself from the work of God. And a lot of us in community, we can't do that anymore. Or sometimes we're, we're pushing. This is something that's happening in my life right now. So I'm, I'm <laughs> guys, my life is approaching zero. It is. I, uh, I, I, and I want to decelerate somehow. You know, I want to, I want to, I'm pumping the brakes. You know, I'm like, stop. I don't want my life to, no, no, no. But, but what do you, what do you need to tell me? What do I not need to fear? Being zero. Some of us are clawing at success in our lives with passionate, passionate, idolatrous hearts, right? Because what are we afraid of more than anything else? Zero. And there's no freedom. It's only more slavery. And, it's, and there's no joy. And there's no power in it. Now, it's okay to not want to be, have your life reduced to nothing. It's okay. I mean, you know, our father's not going, oh, Chris, you're really, you're really, it's really bad that you don't, 
But I don't need to fear it. I don't need to live or to hide it. I don't need to run for it. I don't need to create new strategies to avoid it or not feel it. I don't need to get high or get drunk or have fun or do this or whatever in order to not feel what zero feels like. Because zero sucks, right? It doesn't feel good. And we all want to feel better. So God is opening up to us the possibility of faith. I want you to enter in to the possibility of what our church will be in our Father's work and not be afraid of zero. I don't want you to be afraid if your pastor winds up being a big fat zero. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because our Father's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, this is what it looks like. What can we do with that? Can we find this useful? I'm hoping I, right now I just try to introduce you into two concepts. How to become a Christian, how to really experience new birth, is when you no longer come to God and say, I'm going to be a good girl so that you'll love me. When you refuse to admit that you're zero, if you refuse to admit you're zero, McLaren, then you have nothing in Christ. But if you admit you're zero, what do you have? Everything. That's what this table's about. I'm also now encouraging us that in our life, as we grow, that we're going to see a pattern of God when he loves us, reducing us to zero at times. And we need to stop hiding, running, and strategies to try to to prevent us realizing we have nothing. (laughs) That he is everything. We don't need to fear these points. Mm. Um, I've been told that I preach very unsatisfying sermons sometimes. Now, I've experienced this a lot when I was in the South. I haven't experienced much as much out here. But I experienced a lot in the South. This is better. 98 was when I started in Atlanta. And, uh, and I remember what people would say. I remember it clearly. Well, Chris, when I go to other churches, uh, they give me a, one, a, a plan, a how-to list of things I can do. Um, this is where spirituality is an exercise in proper what? Proper technique. Have you ever experienced Christianity that way? Where Christianity is being presented to you as a spiritual system, and what is being presented to you is a set of techniques that will work. Oh, yeah. I, do this and do this and do now let me say something very very candidly and clearly and unequivocally the scriptures never talk like that ever they don't do this but it's become deeply popular in modern christianity and its experience to try to make it useful technique driven do this do this do this do this do this do this if you these five steps are going to make these are the seven habits of highly successful christians I refuse to do that. I think it's fine for marketing. It's fine. We can learn a lot about how to live lives and be, to use wisdom principles. But do you see why, why this fails now? Why, why is this zero? Why doesn't this work? Because it can't solve this problem. 
The true spiritual bankruptcy of this age, of even the church itself, of even the community of faith, and of the street of my community that I love, of the city and this generation, is the experience of ultimate zero. That's what it is. That's why this generation stuffs into itself more and more money, more and more drugs, more and more sex, anything at all, anything at all. And zero is never satisfied, right? It's an empty nothing. It's always empty. You can't finesse that, then. Can't, you can't finesse your way to an experience of emptiness. And only with and through emptiness, emptying yourself. But remember the sermon I preached for your, for your wedding? I told you guys, and together as a couple, you will only be full if you empty yourselves. That's the only way you experience fullness together, even. And you can't technique this. In one sense, the adoption of the five, six, seven steps, one, one guy, one, I shouldn't speak bad of him, but I'm going to anyway. Um, well, I'm not going to say his name, so I can get away with it, right? He would have fill-in-the-blank outlines. Oh, look, I don't really have anything. I just never do that with me. If you ever do that to me, I'm going to, I'll be polite, I guess. I just, I... I get so angry when somebody like is spoon feeding me that then you know here's your you know, I went I want to snarl I don't know why I just can't because and I'll tell you why because life is not pre-programmed like that and any authentic spiritual experience is not pre-programmed it isn't is it it can't be anticipated you didn't anticipate what was going to happen in your life did you Brittany I didn't anticipate what was going to happen in mine has anybody else where they thought they'd be I'm not where I thought I'd be at fifty. You know, I think that Madeline McLaren have arrived in some ways, but I don't think anybody else, I don't think anybody else has. Have you seen the new apartment? I mean, come on. But, but the point is, is that, and this is constant, life is constantly surprising. And there's all sorts of surprising turns we take in life, and it's their dead ends. And things that didn't happen, and why are my kids like this, and what's going on with my boys, and why is my wife there, and what's with my work, and why am I screaming at the emptiness inside? There is no how-to to fix that, other than meeting the Jesus of love, who makes all things new. But I love where this text goes in the end. I love how this text goes in the end. Because in the end, the mustard seed becomes a tree where all the birds live. There's something peculiar to a people and to a man or to a woman who experiences zero and knows God's love. Because all of the zeros of this world who are hungry, all the people hungry for to know God or be rescued are comfortable around him, are comfortable around her, are comfortable around them. You know, when the scriptures say, do not judge lest you be judged, you've heard that expression. That's been misapplied and misunderstood. We looked at that recently in these parables. You know what's mystifying about that? Um... Nobody feels judged by a bunch of people who know they're zero, but they were loved by Jesus. He 
see, I, I think about our presence in this city, our presence evangelistically and otherwise. I think about how our call to be inviting and a place of invitation. I think about us being a home, you know, like a, a home uh, for, for people who are less than zero. And I, I, that's what I wanted the Holy Spirit to create. It seems to me that Christ is interested in that possibility and that potential for us, isn't he? He's interested in taking the mustard seed. It was a mustard seed when Jordan and McLaren and Madeline and I were meeting and Nick were meeting in our living room. Still feels kind of like a mustard seed, just a little bit bigger now. But I'm hoping that if we experience this Christ, this work of him taking zero and making, giving us everything, Jesus plus zero equals everything, of us giving up finessing our faith and hiding and running and not being defined by zero, by, by Jesus. Mm. I'm hoping, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm, look, I, I, honestly, guys, I'm trembling with excitement. And I will tell you this. I'm experiencing it. I, I am amazed at the love that I've received from you all as my life crashes and burns. I just am. You did it, Amy, at, at breakfast? And, and I mean, it's just, I'm sitting there expecting, I don't know, you know, I've been around Christians a long time. I kind of expect people to, to judge me, you know? Anybody with me? I kind of expect somebody else to go, you're zero? Then you need to get the hell. I'm getting away from you. I'm experiencing it. Are you experiencing it? Even better, wouldn't it be sweet for the city to come to the kingdom now, to this kind of kingdom? Let's pray. Father, I know your goodness. I, I know it. I, I know I've tasted it. We were, my family was, I grew up in a family, we were homeless when you had a family take us in. We were zeros. And you uh, gave us everything. Some of us who have come here today, we are morally empty or spiritually bankrupt. We have been living in zero. Father, would you add everything? Add new boldness and grace, new joy and forgiveness, new, new realization that Jesus on the cross is a death for sinners and for the ruined. Uh, Father, we bring you our nothing and ask you to continue to make us something beautiful for yourself, beautiful in this world, beautiful uh, in the kingdom, beautiful, beautiful for our city. We thank you for your word today in Christ. Amen. So, the Lord's table is this spiritual event whereby we figuratively enact, we figuratively act out, uh, accessing Christ, grabbing Christ, drinking in Christ. It's a mystical. It's mystical and mysterious. And the picture is, Melody, so you come to the table, you've got nothing, right? And Christ becomes your something. See, I once in a while, and, and this is a picture of food. I say, you know, we waste away into nothing if we didn't have food. And Christ is like, no, I will be your food. I will fill you. I will be your something. I will be your everything. 
And so in a little way, we, it's almost like a pantomime. It's, like it's a way of like living it out and acting and everything we've been learning about today. So um, this is a table for nobodies and zeros. And I want to say this very clearly. I say this every week. If you think you're somebody, if you come, look, now I came to be a good boy for Jesus and I have something for the king. I am the one who will... I am the one who will make myself righteous or a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good girl. I'm a good man. I will tell you, you're not worthy of the table. Only mustard seeds. Only nothing. Only people who have nothing get everything from Jesus. Now, having said that, we really do have everything in it. (laughs) We really get it all. So I want you to come with joy if you're coming and you've been in a place in your heart with sin. Maybe you're coming today and you're really giving your heart to God for the first time. Then come to the table. Come to the table with joy. Come to the table refreshed and renewed. Come to the table with new, with new, with new enthusiasm and joy. Now, uh, and the third group, so I, I, I welcome those who, 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 who know this God. I have barred the way you've noticed strenuously those who peep their good people and if you're like an atheist or an agnostic and you're with us today, then I encourage you simply to, to watch and wonder how people could see they know, say they know God so well. We're also, by the way, um, we're going to have lunch for my birthday, apparently, at Della Rosa. Is that good? At Della Rosa, a little pizza place called Blocks down here. So once we break down this space, if you're welcome to join us and, uh, and, uh, and pay for my lunch and... <laughs> and uh, and so um, and uh, we'll have some joy together as a family of God. Uh, if you're just visiting today, you're welcome. You're welcome to come too. You're all invited from our hearts. And um, so we're going to do we're going to do this thing. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is a uh, which is an affirmation, an ancient affirmation of the core beliefs of the Christian community. We ask you to assent to all those as true and historical facts in the work of God. And then uh, uh, we'll come forward, we'll get, we'll get some bread, we'll get these rice crackers, we'll get some wine. Grape juice is in the center for those who prefer it, these eight cups here. Then we'll go back to our table, take them, we'll go back to our seats, I'm sorry, take together. Um, we'll sing the doxology and receive a, a parting blessing. So, Christian, brother and sister, tell me, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. On the night as we trade, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body which is taken for you, which is offered up for you. Take and eat. After dinner, in the same way, he took a cup, a, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood. This is the blood of the covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Do this, he said. Remember me.
to the king. To the king.